The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. If you've got your Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been uh, in this journey through Ephesians. One of the things that we love doing is just teaching through the book of a Bible, a book, a book of the Bible. And um, we've been in Ephesians now for a couple months, and uh, this is one of those uh, sections of Scripture where we have to break it down into smaller pieces, um, mainly for me. Um, but uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is a very uh, chewy, very heady chapter. And the way Paul broke down the book of Ephesians or this letter to the church at Ephesus, the first three chapters deal with doctrine. And so doctrine is, is kind of how God does what he does and why God does what he does. And when you think of theology, that's who God is. And so Paul sets up what has been accomplished in Christ so he can get into the next part of the book, which is chapters 4, 5, and 6, which is really the application, which is the duty, the responsibility that you and I as Christ followers carry based on what has been accomplished at the cross. The, what we, we rally around the gospel, and the gospel is what brings us together, but we've got to understand that the gospel is a proclamation of what has already been accomplished. So when we talk about the gospel and we say it's good news, the good news is it's not our work. The good news is that it has already been finished. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he means it is finished. He defeated uh, death. He defeated hell. He defeated the enemy who was Satan on his home turf. And, and it is finished means that we have an ability to proclaim that as the good news of what's already been accomplished. When we do that... Um, it brings us into this relationship in Christ, not just with Christ. See, uh, I talk to a lot of people, and I, I love hearing people's stories. I mean, I, I'm quickly turning into my grandfather where I just like talking to people. I mean, I, would, I would used to hate going to the grocery store with him because I grew up in a small town, and it, to ride with him to the grocery store for a gallon of milk most of us guys could probably be in and out of that store in under three minutes. It's a race for us. My grandfather could talk to a perfect stranger for 30 minutes in the grocery store. So I'd be like, I don't want to go with granddad. He's going to be there all day. But I'm turning into that person. I love it. I mean, Heather's like, where you been? I've just been talking. And I love hearing people's stories. Then eventually, I love to hear their stories about, so what, what do you think of Jesus? Where are you at with this? And, and, and to get into some kind of conversation about it. What I've found is that a lot of people tend to have an external relationship with Jesus. Like, he, he's all right. He's a good guy. Um, he's a good teacher. And, and he's a historical figure. But what we've got to understand about Jesus is it's, it's, we're not designed to have a relationship with him. We're designed to have a relationship in him. And in him means that we've come to the cross and we've placed our faith in him as Lord, as Savior, not as a good teacher, not as a good man, which he is a good teacher. He is a good man. But to get to the foundational element, because see, this is where doctrine is important. Doctrine shapes what we believe. And so doctrine and scripture teach us that Jesus is the son of God. He is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He willingly laid his life down at the cross to be the sacrifice and the payment for the sin and the wrath of God. He absorbed that penalty. 
He was placed in a borrowed tomb and he was resurrected on the third day. He was raised in victory. That's the gospel. That is what has been accomplished, that you and I can have life in Christ, not just life with Christ. Jesus said that there are going to be people in the last days that'll say, Jesus, didn't we do things in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? And Jesus is going to go, that's all well and good, but the bottom line is this, I never knew you. In Acts, there's uh, some guys that come across some demon-possessed men, and they say, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out, and the demons are like, hey, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And they walked away naked and bleeding. Okay, I don't care how bad you can scrap or how good you can scrap. If you walk away from a fight naked and bleeding, you lost. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there for consideration. That's just... That's just you can say that's a line of truth, okay? Jesus is the son of God. You walk away from a fight, naked and bleeding, you lost, okay? That's just the way it is. And we're not designed to have a relationship just with him. And so the gospel brings us into this relationship. That's what the cross does. That's what the blood shed at Calvary did. That when we place our faith and place our hope in Jesus, who is our Lord, who is our Savior, then we are seen through the blood of Christ. And all of us are joined together. The good news, the gospel, what Jesus has done brings us together. It's a rallying point. It means that we come into this connection as the church. And the church isn't just me. And the church isn't just you. The church is us. And it's designed to be us with Jesus who is the head of this body. And you and I are parts of the body. And we have functions. We have purposes. We have responsibilities. And we're called to live and walk and, and move in these purposes and responsibilities. We are called to live in Christ for Christ. And so last week, we, Paul really talked about this, this unity that, that you and I are one, that we're, we're brought together. Today, I want to talk about our differences, and we need to celebrate our differences because every one of us are unique. We're fearfully, we're wonderfully made. We have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. We have different opinions about things, but we agree on these foundational elements that grace is what binds us together and that we have to stand together on a solid foundation, which is the word of God and which is the truth of scripture. And then we're going to celebrate our differences because, I mean, if we all look the same, we, this would be an absolutely boring place to be. And when we, when we launched the church, I was at a conference, and, and they said, you know, one tendency of church plants is that the church quickly looks like the senior pastor. I was like, this is going to be terrible. A bunch of overweight, balding white guys. So I started praying, God, that's not what the body looks like. Let's be a reflection of the kingdom instead of a reflection of me, because you don't want to reflect this on the world, Jesus. I want to reflect him, and we're going to celebrate those differences. Paul gets into this section when he's, he's, he's just finishing in Ephesians 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we keep some on the back tables for you, and uh, if you don't own one, please take it. It's our gift to you. We want you to have this, have this uh, in your possession so you can read it. 
Um, but Paul talks about the spirit of unity and us being one body. And then the, he sets the foundation of the doctrine. But then he starts in verse 7. He, he transitions in verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And it goes on to say, therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I'll come back and explain that in a second. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So what, what Paul gets into teaching us, and he says, you know, now that you understand the truth of who Jesus is and what has been accomplished, you need to understand something, that, that God has given every believer at least one spiritual gift. In verse 7, he says, he, we're given, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So when we think of, of spiritual gifts in terms of this, that it is Jesus who gives the gift through the Holy Spirit. We can't get around the idea of the Trinity here. The Trinity is, is all throughout Scripture, and it's the idea that God is three yet one. We have God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. We have three what's and one who. And so what we have here is that, that Jesus is the giver of these gifts, and the Holy Spirit is the, the deliverer of these gifts. And our Father knows how to give good gifts. James prayed it earlier from the book of James. James, quoting James, in 117 said, every good gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And so we understand that, that we have a father who gives us a good gift. Jesus said in the gospels, he said, if, if your son asked you for bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. We need to know how to give good gifts. And we, we have that. Every believer, every person who has put their faith in Christ has at least one spiritual gift that they possess. And that is given through Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so um, what is a spiritual gift? It's, it's this. It's a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and the believers are edified. Let me, let me simplify that even more. <clears throat> a spiritual gift is what God imparts on us so that we can make Jesus clear and love people. The only way that we can make Jesus clear is by the gifting and through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Because he brings that revelation and illumination into our soul of who God is. Anytime we, we use a spiritual gift, Jesus should be made clear. The person and the work of Jesus and what happened at the cross of Calvary should be made clear. And people are edified. People are built up. People are loved. People are encouraged in this message. And that's, that's in the church and outside of the church. Okay, so our gifts are internal and external, that, that we bring gifts together to the table, but we also take them to the world. And what, what Paul is quoting here is Psalm 68, 18. It's a victory song of David. 
David wrote, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. What, what this is saying, when, when Paul writes, he ascended on high, led a host of captives, he gave gifts to men. He's quoting the victory song of David, but then he says, he who ascended and descended, what's this mean? That Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, gave up his, his right to be on the throne and gave up his power and humbled himself to come to earth. And on earth, he experienced incredible humiliation, the humiliation of the cross. And then after his resurrection, he spent 40 days with the apostles or the disciples and other people, other eyewitnesses, and then he ascended into heaven. He ascended as the victorious king. So what you have here that Paul is pointing us to is a picture of Jesus, our warrior, who is victorious in battle. So when he descended to earth, what happens is he defeated Satan on his home turf and he took the spoils of war and he's sharing them with us. See, what would happen in the Old Testament, you would read that this this people conquered this people and they would take the spoils of the war back to their king. So invading army comes in, God says, take this land, they take the land, they take spoils and they bring it all to the king. Here's what's happening with Jesus who is our Christ and victorious warrior. He defeats Satan, defeats hell. And the captives, we're the captives. We were held captive by sin. And now we're captivated by grace. And what happens is our warrior king says, I'm gonna share the spoils of this victory with you. So Jesus, who is the victorious warrior, not only set us free from the captivity of sin and brings us captive into his grace, but he gives us gifts. He lavishes his grace upon us. He gives us these things for the purpose of celebrating our king and our warrior and for making him clear to the world around us. And we all possess at least one spiritual gift. These spiritual gifts are given as tools to equip us for the work of the ministry. Spiritual gifts, we've got to understand this, are tools, not toys. And if we've got to be very careful how we use them, we have to use them with maturity and in love. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. I'm doing a wedding tonight, and I will be quoting the love chapter at this wedding. Every wedding I do, but, but you've got to understand the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not weddings, and it's not love, and it's not, I love you, I love you too. It's in context of a church that is abusing their gifts. They've turned them from tools to toys that show off their maturity. They've lost love, and Paul's saying, look, look, if you don't love each other, and you use these gifts, you're like a clanging cymbal. Nobody wants to hear you. You could have these gifts, but you don't have love. You have missed the point. We have to operate in love and maturity with these gifts, and every one of us has one. I remember when I was a kid. I grew up on a farm, and I remember when I was young, I just looked up to my father and my grandfather because they carried pocket knives. Like if we're out on the farm, they'd pull out that pocket knife. That's the first multi-tool. I mean, they could do anything with that. Then they, they would sit and whittle with it. They would, they would cut their fingernails with it. I mean, I, that's just a man's tool, right? And, and I just remember, I want a pocket knife so bad. And I was seven years old, and my dad came back from a trip, and he showed me the pocket knife that he was giving me. And he says, 
I'm giving you this knife, but you can't carry it. And you can't have it until the right time. I'm like, why? He's like, because you're not responsible enough to carry this yet. I'm seven years old. I'm like, I'm a man. (laughs) I wanted so badly to carry that knife. One day, my mother was taking us to the mall, and my best friend and his mother were going to be there. And I thought, I probably need a knife to go to the mall because there might be bears at the mall. (laughs) So I go in my parents' room. I climb up the dresser. I get in the top drawer. And I find my knife and I put it in my pocket. I mean, just putting that in my pocket, I just felt more like a superhero. I mean, I feel like, come on, man. I mean, it's just a little pocket knife, but I felt so big. And we get to the mall and I'm like, ain't nobody going to mess with me. Well, we go into Zales Jewelry. I'll never forget this. We go into Zales Jewelry and we did what all boys do. If you're a parent of boys, they just crawl under things, okay? Okay. So my best friend and I crawl under the jewelry case. I'm like, I got to show you something. I reach in my pocket and I pull out my knife. And he's like, oh. And I was like, no, no, it gets better. I open it. Click. And I was like, look at that. I mean, I felt like I carried the sword. I mean, I felt like it had been bestowed on me that I was to kneel before my father. And he goes, I I donned thee the pocket knife, thy son. I mean, I was just, it, it, there was angels. I was like, oh, the, the, the way the jewelry lights were shining off of the blade. It was just, it was a sheer thing of beauty. I was like, isn't that the coolest thing? He's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, wait, mom's coming. I can't get it closed. It was a lock blade, which for those of you who don't know what a lock blade is, you got to push down on one side of it while you close the blade. We could not get this closed. He's like, let me try, let me try. And so we, our moms are getting closer. I mean, it's like you could feel the presence of mom. And, and I cut my hand trying to close it. And, and I drop it, and then he grabs it. He cuts his hand trying to close it. My mom looks down and sees bloody hands. And our moms collectively just drag us out from under the jewelry cases. And you know that look your mom gets? I mean, it's that look. Every mom has that look. It's that look like the wrath of God is soon to follow. <laughs> the one where you just start crying just from the look because you know that pain and suffering is in your immediate future. And you somehow think that if I cry now, there'll be sympathy. Oh, no, my friend, because my mom could not shut the knife either. So there was even more anger coming against Matt. And I remember the whole ride home, it was 30-something minutes from the mall to my house. And I remember sitting back there crying, holding my hand. It's throbbing. I'm like, my dad is going to kill me. And I'm sitting there, and my dad gets home from work. And it was that moment, like, here comes the wrath of God. I mean, I knew it was bad when my mom decided not to punish me. And then he comes in, and we have a talk. And he said, I told you not to carry that, that you're not ready for that. And I ended up hurting myself and someone else. And that's the way it is with our spiritual gifts. That God gives us a gift, and we have to operate in the maturity and the love so we don't hurt ourselves and we don't hurt other people. Because here's the thing. These gifts are designed to lift up Jesus and to grow the body. But the enemy will take something that God has given for unity and grace and a beautiful thing, and he will distort it and pervert it 
and it will be used to hurt people. We have incredible responsibility. So when God says, I have this gift, but you've got to be mature enough to carry it, it's not to show off to other people. I got myself in a world of hurt because I wanted to show off to my best friend. Our spiritual gifts are not marks of our maturity. I, didn't, I wanted to show that I was mature enough to carry that little pocket knife, but I wasn't. Our spiritual gifts aren't signs to the church of how mature we are. And we're not to elevate the gift above any giver. Paul, Paul lists out some gifts in the New Testament. I mean, let, let's look at them. I mean, let's, let's see, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can write down these scriptures and you can go back and read them. You can follow them on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about spir- other spiritual gifts. In verse 4, he says, now there are varieties of gift. And what you're going to see is that there's, there's diversity, yet unity. Listen to this. Variety of gifts. Spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually what? As he wills. Then then you go on down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still, show you still a more excellent way. What Paul is saying is that we don't have the same gift. How boring would it be if we all got the same thing at Christmas? But God gives a gift according to his purpose and as he wills, and he does this for the common good. And so we don't look at other people's gifts and go, I wish I had that. I, I, I did that for a long time in my spiritual life. I walked away from church because of spiritual gifts. And I saw how how they could be abused and how they could hurt people. And I, I let myself become one of those casualties. But for the longest time, I was praying for a specific gift and it wasn't happening. I was thinking, well, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm outside of the grace of God. And I had to get to the truth of that because Paul says, desire the higher gifts. Don't just pick a gift and say, I want that. You've got to trust the giver. See, when we start seeking the one who gives the gifts, who gives good and perfect gifts, he gives us the right gift for the right purposes. And he calls us into this. In Romans, it goes on. There's more gifts listed in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. That's church being us, me, you. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. That's lifting other people up. The one who contributes in generosity. Yes, there is a spiritual gift of giving. We're all called to be givers. We're all called to be generous. But there's a spiritual gift that God places on people that just, I mean, and you know them, they just have an incredibly giving heart. He says, do so with generosity. The one who leads, lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, acts of mercy is tough because you're serving people who are, who are in very desperate, difficult situations, and we've got to remain cheerful with it. We can start thinking, oh, I'm carrying this burden for people. You're not carrying a burden for people. If that's the case, you're operating in your, your ability, not the ability and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. See, that gifting is let me help you take your burdens to the foot of the cross because I'm not designed to carry it. You're not designed to carry it. Jesus' yoke is, is easy and his burden is light, so let's get it to him. So Paul's saying we've got these gifts. And then in Ephesians, in the context of what we're saying, Paul says this, there, there's people in the church. He says, he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body, for building up the church. So what are these gifts? What, what does this look like? And I believe the church has to function as a body, and all of these have to, have to be represented. You might have heard this as what's called the five-fold ministry. All five of these, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, existed perfectly in Jesus Christ. And us as the body have to, have to be able to represent this. The apostle, it, it's in the New Testament context, it's a divinely appointed representative. And today, um, there aren't apostles in this sense because they were witnesses of the resurrection. But there is an apostolic gifting through the Holy Spirit given by Christ in the church today. Well, what does that mean? That those are the sent ones. Those are the people that extend the gospel. These are, these are our church planters. These are people in church that are looking around going, okay, we need a new, we're, we're missing an area of ministry and I'm gonna start this. I'm going to get a ministry off the ground. How do we further the gospel and extend the gospel? Because the way our grandparents responded in the gospel context is different than, than us today. And how are we extending the gospel to future generations? How are our grandkids going to receive the gospel. That's the apostolic gift and the mindset. And it's important to have that. But if, if your church just have, if we just had an apostolic leader, then the challenge is those people like to build up and go on to the next thing and people can get hurt in the balance. So it takes all of these gifts. You got the prophets. The prophets are attuned to God and his truth for today. They challenge the culture and call people to obedience. Now, they don't do it in a way where they stand on a street corner and say, thus saith the Lord. You've probably encountered people like that. 
But a prophet says, here's what God is saying. Read the Old Testament and the prophets. God says, I have a word for my people and you need to share it. You're gonna be the mouthpiece for my word. And let me tell you something. If somebody comes up and says, I have a word from the Lord or God told me something to tell you, it will always check with this. God will never say anything that's contrary to his word. If somebody says, I've got a word from the Lord for you and it doesn't check up in here, you've just been given a spiritual gift of discernment. And you can discern between the spirits. Like, that's not the Holy Spirit. Then you've got the evangelist. I call these the recruiters. Um, they're the ones that, that call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ, and then they engage people into the mission of the church. Um, I went to a trip, I went on a trip to Honduras a couple years ago with an evangelist organization, and it was all inspiring to watch how they do this. I mean, we, we're at a, a, a festival with thousands of people, and this evangelist gets up, and I'm like, he's just, he's just sharing the gospel. I mean, but he's doing it, and I mean, like, he is incredibly gifted. By the end of his, by the end of his message, I was like, I want to get saved again. <laughs> Hundreds of hands go up. And then what my responsibility was is working with the local pastors to engage those local Honduran pastors to say, hey, go pray with this person, go pray with this person, this person, this person, because they got to be connected in a local church. I, God just showed me a vision of what evangelism's like. It's like flying over a field and just dropping seeds. And we need evangelists. I love seeing people come to Christ, but this isn't my primary gifting. And so for me to be around them, at first I thought, they don't care about the church. They just want to go see people make a decision for Christ. They're recruiting. And then it takes the shepherds to come in and go, okay, come on, come on, come on. You're a part of a body. You're a part of a body. Come on in. They're the caregivers of the community. And then you've got the teachers. The teachers help us understand and explain the word of God. They help us remain biblically grounded, and their desire is for us to know God and his will. So, okay, you, you've gotten saved. Now I want you to start walking in this. That's why when I pray, I pray for salvation every week. Because every week we have people in our services who don't have a relationship in Christ. But I also challenge, you're not designed to do this alone. We want to get you connected into our community so we can walk this together. So you can live the life God's created you and called you to live. And when we do this together through the gospel, this gospel togetherness is strengthened by our diversity of gifts. That you and I have different gifts, but when we use them, we're like, super, we're, we're, like, we're like the team that brings it together. I was watching an interview this morning um, with the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the question was asked, so where do you fall on the superstar list? And he's like, I think I'm probably number three. And I was thinking, I think you're giving yourself more credit than you should, but um, God didn't call us to be a team of superstars trying to do our own thing. He called us to be a body functioning together. Remember Romans 12, that we're, we're one body. We have different functions, and we come into this working together so that we, we each experience the win. See, when, when the body wins, the whole body gets to celebrate, right? 
That's why we celebrate baptism. But our different gifts come to the table and we see an incredible purpose start to shape out. And that happens in the church across the world, but also the local church is an expression of the church. I'm the pastor here. I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. We're the body. My main function as the pastor here is this, to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry, both internally and externally, that we have ministry that happens inside of this facility every week. This facility isn't the church. We're the church. And there, there are needs that, that exist inside of this church body every week. There are needs that exist outside in our community. And what I believe about the Holy Spirit is this. Where there is a need, he has given a gift to meet that need. And where there is an abundance of gifts, there's going to be an inflow of needs for us to meet. That's the way the Holy Spirit designed. He doesn't gift us just to, be, just to grow and be like, well, we got this, we're good. We do it for purpose. And the purpose is to glorify God through all the earth and so people understand what has been accomplished at the cross. And we come together and it's just a beautiful thing that makes this happen. And balance is vital with this in the body. The body is not designed to wear certain parts out while the other parts do nothing. The body is designed to move and work together. And there are places for you to engage. You have a place to engage in this body. You have a gift. You have a gift that needs to be engaged in ministry and in this body so Jesus is made clear in our community. And if maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. How, how, do, how do we find this out? We will help you with that. If you, or if you have a gift and you know what it is and you're ready, you're like, okay, I'm ready to engage. I'm ready to lock and load here, Matt. Let's do this. Then here's what I want you to do. Your next step is this, to pull out that connect card and say, I'm ready to engage. Or if you don't know what your gift is, if you want help, just say, I'd like some help knowing what my gifts are. We've got some tests we can help you with and some ways to identify that. But the biggest way that our gifts are developed and are discovered and developed is this, is by being used in the, in the function of the body. Where's your passion? What's God calling you? What, when you think about, God, what are you doing in my life? Is he, is he calling you to raise up new ministry? Is he calling you to encourage and support people? Is he calling you to serve? Um, a gift of administration is vital. And, and we have an incredible team member in Jamie Whaley whose gift is administration. And several years ago, she emailed me. and She goes, I have a spiritual gift of administration. Do you have need for that? I'm like, yes, praise Jesus. I'm unorganized. I need that. So you might have the gift of administration. You have a place to engage. But, but you got to be a part of the body. And let's be a functioning part of the body. Let's not be a paralyzed appendage that just becomes a drain. God's created you with purpose. He's equipped us for purpose. He says, this is what I want you to do. And here, here's the tools to do it. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray for a couple things. I'm going to pray first that, that if you don't have a relationship in Christ, that today's the day you begin to know him. That today's the day that relationship becomes not just with Christ, but in Christ. But then we all 
operate and function as the body we're called to operate as. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and thank you that you give us good gifts, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And the greatest gift that you give, Father, is our salvation, our hope, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And I pray that today, for those people in this room that don't have a relationship in Christ, they know of you, but they've never submitted their life in you. I pray you give them courage that today is the day that the gift of salvation is given to them, that new life is given, and you give them the courage to call upon the name of Jesus and just say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I don't want a relationship with you. I want a relationship in you. And I'm asking you to begin to reveal the life that you've called me to, that you've created me for. Thank you for bringing me into your body, into your kingdom, into your church. And if that's you, the first step I want you to take is let us know on that card. Let one of our prayer workers know so we can walk with you. Father, we thank you that the gifts you give us are for the purpose of your kingdom, not for us to abuse or to become prideful with. Would you help us walk in humility? Would you continue to illuminate our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts to see the gifts and give us the courage to use our gifts in a way that glorifies you and grows the body. Continue to equip us for your purpose, not ours. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.